Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome everybody to the Pinelander Podcast. My name is Paula Favor, and today is Friday, the first of July, two thousand twenty-two, and uh, we are on the cusp of the Fourth of July. Obviously, coming around the corner, this is the uh, will be the two hundred and forty-sixth uh, anniversary of uh, the Declaration of Independence, and uh, because of that. Uh, I did want to re- do something special uh, because I am a patriot, and uh, you know I think most of the guys that tune in and gals uh, are patriots too. So, uh, so here you go. So the story of America is the story of strength and honor. In the spring of 1776, delegates from the 13 American colonies met to discuss the great question of independence from Britain. With blood on the ground at Lexington, they argued that these American colonies should be free and independent states as part of a free and sovereign nation. With moral courage, they drafted a statement that would declare to the world why these United States were declaring their independence from Britain. By such a declaration, we became the only nation in history to be founded upon moral principles claiming to the entire world that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then, having no illusions as to what they were risking, these men who signed the Declaration finished this great charter of freedom with these words, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And I think that is an awesome way to start the podcast. Uh, uh, This is our 30th episode, and I think that uh, in light of uh, where we have been in the nation, there's so many things going on in our country right now. Mike, um, is uh, one thing that we has recently happened is the overturning of uh, Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court decision to do that, to, to give back to the states the right to decide on uh, such issues. And I think that's a milestone. Uh, we've also, uh, a little bit later, we're going to have come on the podcast a man who is, uh, uh, has, is a great patriot himself and has gone over to fight for others and their fight for freedom, namely in Ukraine. And so Ukraine is also big on the news. Uh, we're watching those people uh, with their firm resolve to uh, maintain their freedom. And so I think this is uh, that's pretty much our, our theme for this uh, podcast is, uh, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So what do you say there, Mike? Well, I mean, you were reading the Declaration of Independence and you know, I'm not a constitutional lawyer. I'm not a, an expert in much anything, but I, I do believe that's really what's unique about our country, unlike any other country on, um, on the planet or ever has been any other sort of empire that's ever graced earth. And that is the fact that we were the first people to kind of say, um, our rights come directly from God, mm. and they're and they're to the individual. There's no go between. There's no there's no king. There's we don't we don't uh, our power doesn't come from government. Um, it's we're not a centralized nation as far as um, uh, you know we don't we don't look to hire mm-hmm. for privileges. Um, everything is bestowed upon us 
And then what we do is we delegate upward uh, to our communities, uh, to our states, and, and to the federal government. So really I think what's you – know, you know, I mean, I'm a pro-life guy. I mean, I don't – you know, I can't understand why – Amen. Anybody um, is into killing unborn children, but there's a lot of people that are extremely upset about uh, the recent ruling uh, by the court, and I never could quite figure out what they're excited about because, to me, regardless of what side of the issue you are when it comes to abortion, the court did nothing but really just recognize the fact that it doesn't have any authority in that area. All right. Exactly. Um, you know, it's been kicked back to the sovereigns, if you will, mm-hmm. to decide. And you and I both know there's going to be places, like let's just say California, for instance, okay, where the majority of those folks that live out there on the West Coast are, are probably going to be for, you know, unlimited abortion on demand, right. okay? And that's kind of the way America is designed because those people have the right to determine sort of how they want to live, where they're living. They don't need to sit around and wait for somebody dressed in a black robe to tell them how to live. Yeah. And if you don't like it, just move to another state. Dude, it's like, yeah, yeah, if you listen, if you don't like hanging around Californians, then you move to Texas, which of course so many of them are doing, right? So that's, that's the beautiful thing about freedom is really we have the freedom to sort of move and yeah. go to live around like-minded people. It's a huge experiment Yeah. Um, now in liberty. S- yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you said that because something that we forget is uh, the Declaration of Independence was an experiment. It was, the yeah. Constitution is an experiment. I mean, and it, it's taken. It works. And but it was the first of its kind. Uh, we're the first country that is you know founded on um, moral standards and recognizing that uh, you know we, we have these rights from a creator with a capital C. It, it yeah. yeah it's it's you know it's ext- I mean people aren't gonna like hearing this but it's an extremely liberal country. Um, that's a liberal idea. Yeah. Uh, well, you got to explain that, Mike, because some people well, may not understand. That well, between- listen, for the times, I yeah. mean, that was crazy, yeah. radical, liberal, okay? Yeah. Um, so I want to, so who has a problem with the decision? If you think about it, who's really starting to come unglued are really the Marxists. Mm. And the reason why is because they're in a centralized control. They really love the sort of top-down everything. They want, they want government deciding every aspect of your lives, which is completely un-American. Yeah. Um, what they don't want to do is if they have a small little Marxist community, well, listen, you guys are, are free to you know, have centralized control in your little community, and that's fine. But most of us freedom-loving people are probably going to be moving <laughs> elsewhere. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But they want to... Uh, control everything from the top, and it's just it's that's that's a completely un-American idea. Right, uh, my friend, can you hear me? Yes, I can. What's up, Paul? Awesome. Hey, Christian. Hey, it's so good to have you on the Pinelander podcast. Uh, we just got started a few minutes ago. We did our intro. Uh, we've been uh, just talking about the Fourth of July, how it's uh, just around the corny corner and then it's uh you know this is the 246th uh anniversary of the declaration of independence uh the constitution and all those awesome things we had just mentioned you and uh how that uh you recently went uh to ukraine because uh you're you're a man who believes in believes in liberty uh life liberty the pursuit of happiness all those things we just talked about so uh hey welcome to the pinelander podcast my friend Thanks, Paul. Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> yeah, and uh, for for everybody that's, uh, you know, this Christian uh, is a man who's uh, from the soft community, a man that uh, got the call of God. You know, he was minding his own business. He was like everybody else. He was watching these things go, on, go down, and uh, it pissed him off. But more than that, um, you know, he's a patriot, but more than that, God spoke to him. And God told him to go, he gave him a task, 
God went, uh, told him to do it, and he did it. And uh, I think it's an incredible story uh, that uh, we want to share with you guys. So this is, uh, this is Christian. Welcome, my friend. Hey, thanks, Paul. I just want to say thank you for having me on and give me an opportunity to uh, uh, share how God used a, a sinner like myself in, in, a, in a big way and continues to do so. And it's a, and it's a pleasure to be able to, uh, to be able to speak on this. Awesome, my friend. Well, you you know, Christian, this is, this is Mike over here, but um, you've got it's a crazy story. Um, why, don't, why don't you yeah. just tell us kind of like just you know, give us like the brief you know broad stroke. We'll go into detail on some of this stuff you know as we as we talk, but give everyone sort of a broad stroke of kind of of, of the story here where you're kind of at right now. Okay, cool. Oh well, in in the most in the wave top. So in the beginning of this year, I was at Sofawik with with all my my team and. And God started massaging my heart before the invasion, and uh, uh, He started speaking to me. And that it was kind of like birthing pains, as the Bible describes. It kept on getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And then when I had to return home from my military duties there, God had put His finger on me. And when He did, I could do nothing but just have so much pressure on me. It turned into conviction because I wasn't doing what he told me to do, and that was to go into Ukraine. Mm. And I was there, and I and I and the only thing I needed to do was go to Ukraine and and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what I did. Um, and that's God, first brother. beginning. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, praise God, man. That's awesome that uh, you know uh, so many people, you know, would uh, they would not have done something like. So you're just kind well, of a special breed. Man. We have here. Here's where here's where it gets fun. Okay. Yeah. So you have this conviction, right, to go to yeah. wherever. Okay, but it's a lot more complicated than that, isn't yeah. it, Christian? Like, how do you get in there, right? Well, it's funny how God uses sinners, man. It's something that my whole life I've been known that I was going to be at one time called in the ministry. I just didn't know when, and I continued to make decisions on career paths, and one of them was to become a Green Beret. And never did I know that God was going to use that to help me understand my operational environment, how to get into a country, how to speak to people, and move me into East Ukraine solely using networks and to for His purpose. So it is, it's a, an incredible thing to watch God show up on a big way, first of all, by moving the DOD completely out of my way, because uh, I'm still in... Uh, on order, not on orders, but still um, have an obligation to the DOD and to see God show up. It was probably one of the most emotional things I've had so far in my uh, walk with Christianity is watch God show up and uh, move and uh, just have his hand in this all the way through. Yeah, and I have, uh, you know, you and I had uh, talked before and we communicated over different uh, social uh, media platforms. I knew that, uh, you know, one of the challenges you had is just getting in there, getting into Ukraine. I mean, how was, yeah. how was that? I mean, you, you mentioned so that there were some, some people that helped you along the way. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, I used to be the, um, the NSW, NSW unit two softly exercise planner, which put me in 2017. And I used to be in that area of the country. God had prepared me, uh, just geographically where I was going and did not know I was going to be going there for him one day. And so once I did my train analysis and then did a scope over the, uh, the area, I knew the, the fastest way from point A to point B was a straight line. And that was closer to the black sea. Everybody was coming in from Poland, but I knew the fastest way to get into country was, it was through Romania. And so one of the things that God showed up big, big time was when I walked across the border down there, towards Tolche in Romania, the first person that came and picked me up through a Christian network was Ted Cruz's and Dave Burton's translator. Wow. And I didn't know that at the time. I, that was revealed to me afterwards that he was their translator when he showed me pictures of him translating for Dave Burton and then Ted Cruz. Wow. And it was just God just coming over me and saying, wow. Because I knew at that time, if he was that close to senators for an extended period of time, he was cleared by the DOS. He was trained. He was westernized and somebody I could actually rely on to keep me safe. That's fantastic. And I, uh, you know, there's so many people that you would uh, basically when we had time together, you could you debrief like, 
you know, from this stop to the next stop. And then, uh, you know, so many people along the way that just moved you along, just bumped you up and a little bit closer uh, into Ukraine. That's, yeah. I mean, just, just the, it was like a, you know, a safe house, you know, yeah. one after the other. And then, um, yeah, the other big milestone that I remember and, and, uh, you know, just elaborate however you want. But one of them I remember was, uh, you know, linking up, you know, your first initial link up with those, with a, with a unit over there. And I believe you were, uh, near, uh, hair son. Harrison. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up, uh, with a Christian network being passed from pastor to pastor, bishop to bishop, and, um, eventually was about to run out. I honestly did not know where this was going to go. And I told my driver to take me as far Northeast as you will. And I'll get out and I will start walking. I'll put my ruck on and I will walk to where I'm supposed to be. And right before that happened, um, a military chaplain had found out that I was in the area and he called my driver and said, Hey, I want to meet him. And we met on a, on the black sea beach. And the first thing I did was get on my hands and knees and prayed with him and, and just let him feel like where I was feeling. He felt it big time. And after we prayed, he embraced me and he goes, Christian, do you want to go with me? And I said, yes, I do. And he took me into another prominent, uh, Bishop that was in the East of or by her son who had connections to the military and moved me right into a unit who were, these people need help. And the, and, and I wasn't there. I'm not, I wasn't there to train. I'm there to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I wanted to reveal to them, you know, what God had put on my heart. But as I got into the unit and, and sat down in their trenches, looking at the defensive position, I realized there was a lot bigger picture that I, that God was revealing to me that I needed to come and, and help them do. Right. I remember you were talking about that basically, uh, you know, stemming from your training as an 18 Bravo, uh, you were able to kind of assess a tactical situation and see some, some problems, something like yeah, that. I don't want to get, yeah. I, w- I don't want to get into the details yeah. of exactly what I saw, but I knew this, I knew these are good guys. These are Patriots. These guys will live and fight and die on that in that trench. And I wanted to provide them the tools to best set them up to defend themselves. And so it was the perfect, perfect scenario for access and placement. They yeah. wanted something that I knew, and I want I knew something that they needed, and they think they needed training, and they do, but they also needed the most important thing they needed was Jesus Christ. That's awesome. And be able to reveal that to them. Yeah, uh, your video is uh, amazing too. The one on YouTube, and uh, I'm sure we we can make that available in some way. We can we can mention that. But uh, it's awesome. And what I saw is you were like, uh, I was talking to Mike about this, uh, you know, you're like a hospitaler, you know, from the Crusader <laughs> period. And the hospitalers, you know, were order of knights uh, that, uh, you know, as the name suggests, uh, they took care of, you know, the bandaging and the, uh, the hospital type of caretaking of uh, pilgrims, but also defended them. And then, of course, they had... Uh, there are those that concern themselves with the gospel. So yeah, you you're in a position there to to uh, you know help these people out in practical ways and spiritual ways. That's that's fantastic. And you and all of your training uh, had prepared you for that. And you as you look back, you saw how the Lord was you know had all those situations and all that training. He was now using all of that you know for the for the that's greater true. good. That's awesome. Yeah. I consider it. Uh, go ahead. No, no, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, I can. I consider it a whole, a holistic uh, approach. So I'm, I'm trying to uh, have spiritual warfare with them and reveal Christ to them, and at the same time, I'm trying to give them the tools they need to survive on a, on a most basic medical needs. And one of the biggest problems they have there is 200 dead, killed in action a day, over yeah. 500 casualties a day and the problem is they cannot sustain life sustain life in the trenches until they get to a higher level of care and the higher level of care the time gap the gap distance is too great and they end up dying in transport mm. so if i could help them in the, this providing them medical needs and how to to go something as simple as tcc to get them uh, s- stabilized so they can get moved to a higher level of care quickly 
that's something that's, you know, that's just, I would be, I'd freely give that to him. And I did. And it's, um, awesome. Something that, uh, uh, it moves me. One of the first classes that I gave, uh, briefly on the front lines was with a group of guys who've never had any T triple C, never had any combat lifesaver. And as I'm giving the class, actually, I was the, uh, the, the, the overwatch and my, my partner was giving the class, a firefight kicks off less than three kick, three clicks away. You could hear the uh, artillery in the fire coming in. You could hear the uh, machine guns. And those guys were so intent of learning basic stuff like how to apply a tourniquet, how to stop the bleeding, how to run through March, that they were just in tuned to that instructor and, and those life-saving uh, procedures. That's awesome. Yeah, the, uh, yeah just the basic stuff. Just, just standard things, uh, you know, nothing, uh, you know, Jason Bourne here, just standard yeah. things. That's awesome. Yeah, it's always the basics, isn't it? Um, listen, Christian, how many folks do you think are over there doing what you are doing? Well, I had a, a conversation with uh, a gentleman in Washington, D.C., and he, uh, he said there's, I don't know the exact number, but there was three organizations, Mozart Group, Perry Blackburn and AAA Authority, who were brought up. And uh, there were several others, though. There's several other volunteers. And I'm not talking the Foreign Legion guys. I'm not talking about fighting in, 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 uh, with an, I'm not talking oh. about anything kinetic. Yeah, right. Just guys who are just trying to help give them the tools they need because they absolutely need them. Yeah, I was talking primarily on the, the evan- evangelic side. Um, because you know, if you go to like YouTube and you look at Ukraine Christian Ministries and stuff, I mean, there's there's quite a bit of it. Looks like there's quite a bit of work that uh, that various organizations and churches are involved in. Yeah, um, yes, absolutely. So there are several. This is one of the things I can tell you right now. There is more. There is more Christians right now in Ukraine than there has ever been in their time, and it's because this war has pushed either encourage Christians or people have been moved by the, the action that the Christians have come in and organized. I've seen more churches through different denominations come under one umbrella to work together, put all their uh, differences aside and work together to help this cause. Cause it's, it's such a big problem over there that they had no, no other option, but just to give love in Christ and, and aid. And so there, there is a movement going on in Ukraine, and people are seeing it, and uh, it, it's amazing to watch uh, several different congregations come together and for one cause, and that's to save humanity and uh, help their country. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm just assuming. I'm not, I've never been to Ukraine, but I'm just assuming it's the Eastern Orthodox. Most of uh, – you're, you're, you're correct. Most of it is Eastern Orthodox, but I did not – there's a lot of churches over there with golden roofs. And I didn't see any of those organizations like I did see other organizations um, moving humanitarian aid, delivering humanitarian aid, uh, setting up soup shops, uh, giving out food, organizing um, uh, refugees. And I, and, I, and I went through pretty much from all the way from uh, Ismail down the southeast all the way into the east by Herson, and I was across – multiple different congregations, um, but never did I see a standard Eastern Orthodox church uh, move like that. Mm. Yeah, uh, from our conversations, you said there, you're surprised to see uh, just, you know, uh, you know, a very you know, large hodgepodge of groups over there, like uh, Christian organizations. Uh, yes. Stuff like even you said. Uh, did you say you saw some messianic uh, Jews over there too? Absolutely. Uh, I did not know that, but this, but um, I came to find out. And Odessa is the second largest congregation of messianic Jews. And wow. uh, um, uh, Bishop no uh, Voda brought me right in, and I actually taught his congregation. Um, we called it a crisis uh, care response. And doing scenarios like if a missile or an artillery or some sort of indirect fire landed in the congregation, how to sustain life until the paramedics got there. Um, Fantastic. So, well, it's, yeah. it's funny you, you brought that up. Well, it's not funny at all. But um, I think 
what you, and just correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe like one of the major differences between uh, the Russian uh, way of fighting and say most of the Western civilization um, is the heavy use of artillery. Um, is that is that what you're seeing over there? Where they the kind of Russians like just, they just love they just they love the artillery. They love the uh, the indiscriminate because we're really I mean we're picky. I mean if you launch a round out of a cannon in the U.S. Army, I mean you better be knowing where that thing's going. Yeah, um, it's um, I, I it's I, heartbreaking. Go ahead. Yeah, because I mean my understanding, and, and of course you've been over there, is you know the Russians prefer sort of launching a bunch of rounds and kind of following up after that. They really don't care what where those rounds go. You you nailed it right right on the money there. Um, it's very heartbreaking to watch, um, watch these. It's a psychological in some aspects, but some it's just plain evil. Most of the um, artillery or missiles or indirect fire is civilian populace. We're talking hospitals. We're talking playgrounds, schools, churches. Or, or just low-income housing. There's no rhyme or reason to this indirect fire. There's no military structure. I mean, some of them are. There's some there. I'll say some of them can or are, like when defense buildings, but most of it, 90% of it, is just random fire in random places. Yeah. Uh, makes no sense. Hey, so I was going to ask you, um, based off your observations, are we making a difference? Is... Uh... Is there? A, I know that's a that's a big question because we're supporting them, uh, the West is supporting them. But do you think that we're uh, that's making a difference? Everything we're doing, are we are we stopping the Russians? Are, are they? Is this making an impact? I would to, to give you a brief statement. Yes, we are making a difference. Now, can we do a better job? Yes, I. That seventeen or forty billion dollar package, seventeen billion in cash, is fixing to flow into Ukraine uh, in the next week or maybe this week. Without oversight, mm. without advisors on the ground, we're 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 losing a lot, and that's because this is the way that the cultural is there. With they have that Russian uh, infrastructure, that Russian. Um, I don't want to say corruption, but it's definitely how they do business. And if we don't have that oversight on all this stuff, eventually, well, it's going to, a lot of it's going to get eaten up in these holes. Yeah. That's, and, that's, and, I think that's, I think that's the real, I mean, listen, Ukraine is complicated and, yeah. and I know, you know, they, they try to make it really simple and it's just not the case. I mean, you're down there boots on the ground, rubber meets the road, uh, trying to take care of average, uh, everyday Ukrainians. Okay. On top of that layer, you know, you've got a bunch of people that are just out to make money. Because uh, yeah. you always, you know, in any kind of conflict, sorry to tell you this to you, but there's always money makers, okay? Where is a racket? It's just, it's just the way yeah. it is. So, and, yeah. and I think Americans, um, it's, it's kind of hard when they're dealing with Ukraine because there's a lot of Americans that are kind of wised up to, to some of this stuff. And they just don't know if, you know, it's worth $40 billion, um, because they know a lot of that. Unfortunately, a lot of those funds are going to be going places where it's not helping anybody. Um, I would much rather see, you know, you get a a, a little bit of money because I know for a fact you're down there like a lot of people actually making a difference, um, and you're not getting taxpayer dollars at all. Okay, you're just you're just you're just a, another American down there trying to help out, and it's really not always money. Um, these big aid packages sometimes have nothing to do with aid unfortunately. So, um, I'm hoping when, when, um, I'm hoping that we see what you're talking about. We're, I'm hoping we're seeing some, um, some oversight. Um, a lot of these people don't like oversight though, uh, because you know, they don't want to have to have an accounting for the money. Yeah. I, I don't understand it. I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I'm an 18 Bravo at the tactical level. But just the little bit of time I spent in country, almost two, a little over two months, I, it was revealed to me that, and I could see it, that if there is no oversight, if we don't put advisors on the ground, we these, they, they're not going to win this thing, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say that openly, but you could have as much patriotism as you want. You can sit there and, and live and breathe and, and want to die for your country. 
but tactics are tactics. Now, uh, unfortunately, Putin has organized his military. He understands how to defeat this now, and there's no corner that we can put Putin in now. The corner is he's escaped the corner that we were going to put him in. So now he can just chew away at this this nation bit by bit, piece by piece, acre by acre, and get away with it. And if we do not help organize them on the ground, the tactical level, or take away take away their uh, air, it's just going to be a, a lost cause, unfortunately. Hey, um, now I had to I wanted to ask you this too. What what's happening over there that you've seen that we don't know about? Now, there's so many things that we don't see in the news, and you'd mentioned a bunch of those. But is there anything else that maybe you know that you could share with us about that? Okay, there is no Nazis running around. I can tell you that right now. These are good-hearted people who are fighting for their country, for their brothers to the left and the right. I don't see any of that on the tactical level of any type of racism, any type of. Um, uh, organized movement in some sort of Nazi regime. It's absolutely a false narrative. Now, like I said, I'm an 18 Bravo at the tactical level. Maybe the the, uh, the beginning stages of that group up in Maripol were rooted in that. But that, at, at, at a broad stroke, 99% of the people who are fighting on the ground are good-hearted uh, people. Mm. Well, these are pretty much locals, too. I mean, right? I mean, they're basically fighting for family and community. Is that is that right? You're exactly right. So now the, the here, these guys that I was dealing with, um, especially the ones in the trenches, they were they were cooks two months ago. They were bus drivers. They were factory workers, and now they've been sent to the front line. They've been given a uh, uniform or donated armor, and they've got an a, an old AK-47, and they have no boot camp experience. Wow. And so to imagine going to war. And never been uh, any type of formal instruction. It's absolutely insane to me. Um, yeah, that's uh, and that's that's pretty intense. So I can imagine how uh, you know just the things you saw that jumped out of you. All of the you know lack of preparation, no fault of their own, but it's needs. Yeah, wow. So well, and it's unfortunate. Go ahead. No, I was just going to ask. I mean, that's a really good point. Is there is there another one? Is there some? Is there another? Because uh, listen, I mean, it's hard. I'm I'm skeptical of everything I read on Ukraine, just because, you know, if you spend enough time in the soft community, you understand psyops, you understand the you know, the propaganda, information operations, and you know a lot of this stuff is clearly that. So it's nice to actually, you know, have a conversation with someone that you know is is actually seeing what's going on there. Yeah. Um. Hey, uh, Christian, I had uh, another uh, big question, and I, I wanted to make sure we get this out, too, before we get too far into this and run out of time, is you had one experience, I think it was probably that where the pucker factor was up, you know, the most intense, is where you went into the gray zone and you were delivering humanitarian supplies. Can you just kind of tell us about that? Sure. So between battle lines... Um, there are people who are still there, and they're mostly elderly folks who cannot leave, or, or who are just going to just wait it out. And they, and they, then you know, we're talking about 80, 70 year old uh, people. And so, between the battle lines, there's no economic growth. There's no power. Hardly, maybe that there's water if they got a well. Um, no food. So um, I went with a couple of a uh, driver and a couple of pastors and. Uh, left the Ukrainian uh, controlled territories and was delivering food in contested areas. Uh, probably the most oh. dangerous thing I could say that I did while I was there um, because you have literally no control. I mean, you're up for grabs at that point. Wow. And it's literally walking by faith and knowing that these people need food, they need water. And if you can deliver that to them, that's great. Wow, that's intense. I mean, uh, I saw some of the photos of you doing that just – you know, uh, hitting house by house and delivering goods and uh, just, yeah, knowing that you're out there just flapping, you know, your, 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 your butts on the line, you know, that's, and this is a, uh, what about a 10 kilometer or 10 mile wide area that's just kind of a no man's land. Is that about right? I'm, yeah, I'm sure it depends on the terrain that, um, that configures the, uh, the contested yeah. area. 
but you're you're about right. Probably ten kilometers. That's just back and forth. Yeah, and the and then all the need there. So there's we don't even know exactly how many people live in those gray zones, and 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 you know just the just amount of needs that are there. It's intense. Yeah. yeah, those people are under constant shelling. Those people live under constant shelling. It's, um, I can, uh, when I was first got there, when the air alarm would go off, I had anxiety because uh, within you know th- the first three days I was there, I was watching missiles come out of the Black Sea and land in Odessa, and so I always had the anxiety. But when I got towards Mikhailov and towards Horsan, it's a constant thing. It's a constant barrage, and you can hear them walking rounds in. And you almost get acclimatized to it. You almost get used to it, or you can almost tell how the distance, how far away it is. Well, these people are living in those kill zones, constantly living in a barrage, and and it's it's scary. I can't I can't imagine living in some uh, place like that. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, just I mean we've we see limited amount of footage, and you have, and you already said it. There's a there's a narrative that certain you know that we. They want us to see, and so we don't really get an on-the-ground, you know, boots-on-the-ground truth of what's really going on. So you've seen, uh, you know, the horrors of this, you know, and the, the carnage. Uh, but from what you've seen, um, I don't know, could you just think about, you know, what's going to happen? What can you see, I mean, in the near future? That's quite a question, too. Yeah, at my level, that's a question, and it's a complete opinion. But uh, I, there's, I don't see any stopping point for uh, Russia to continue to push west towards the Dnieper River, the deep D I N R P O, the Dnieper River, and that's a big terrain feature that kind of splits the uh, Ukraine into like almost two thirds, one thirds. And I feel I, I see that he's going to push all the way to that river into. Probably till winter time, and then he'll he'll break. They'll do a ceasefire, and then next spring he'll continue to kick all the way through. Um, uh, that, on a broad stroke. That uh, that sounds like uh, the Russian way of war, along with you know the indiscriminate leveling of uh, you know apartments and hospitals and schools, uh, and you know their way of war of just leveling cities with artillery strikes, and then say you know you you want this to stop. So you're right. Yeah, that um, and and I and I um, I think I share this hope with everybody, you know, Americans here is that we can, you know, our level of support is not going to stop because, you know, you know how Americans are. Once uh, a foreign war uh, goes on for so long and, you know, you've got the money involved with it, they start to lose interest and. You know, I'm, maybe it's just me, but I'm starting to see less, you know, highlights from, on the news about Ukraine. It's like, you know, it just started. You know, the invasion just started, and it's almost like, you know, remember when we back in uh, uh, early 2000s, we it's like, hey, what about Bin Laden? Everybody forgot about it, you know, and the mm-hmm. Twin Towers and 9/11. They just went, yeah. And I hope that doesn't happen with this. But I mean, do you think? Uh, you think that could happen? Yeah, I've seen a, a definite um, down draw, I guess you would, of coverage in Ukraine, um, and that's sad because these are real people who are who are facing life and death every second they live, and um, it's it's an absolute tragedy to watch these people in real life and in living color go through this, and then know that. You know, it might not be our fight, but yeah. I can't, for the life of me, um, be over here in America knowing that God has prepared me and called me over there to serve. And um, and I'm going to continue to do that and, and faithfully. Yeah. And I, well, I mean, you know, I think uh, yeah. it, it, I, I, I think your service is, you know, has nothing to do with whether there's a war going on over there. If they sue for peace tomorrow, I think you're still going over there and doing what you need to do. Yeah. Um, and we, of course, we could we can all pray for that. Um, hopefully, um, you know, he, he it's got to be costly, I guess. I mean, uh, in order for that to happen, it's going to have to be worthwhile for both sides to want to end this thing. Yeah. Um, so we let's hope let's hope that continues on. Um, how about some, 
you know, give us a story over there. Give us a give us one of those like great. That's where I was going. Yeah, like because yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm sure you've got something like you were down oh, there because. Does. You know what? What what Paul and I do know is like the foundation for any great warrior is like the faith in God. I mean, it's just it's just, it's that thing that just keeps you uh, grounded mm-hmm. and um, keeps you. It keeps the hope alive. And give us a story when you're over there and the difference that you've made in, in some of these Ukrainian lives. So uh, absolutely. Um... So my ministry is basically gain access and placement to Ukrainian soldiers and step in the trenches with them. And when they see me, they don't see a a chaplain. They see another soldier. And I reveal to them that I'm a sinner. And so with that placement and access, I just delivered Jesus Christ to them. One of the times I was over there and observing training and and watching them – fire their AK-47s, I accidentally got shot. Not by a not by a, a Russian, but I accidentally got shot by a Ukrainian soldier. Mm. And it just shows the lack of uh, training they have. And uh, it was a ricochet. It hit like 10, 15 feet in front of me and came back, hit a pillar and came back directly and hit me in the leg. Now that round, which is around my neck right now, went into my leg and hit my bone and deflected off my bone and started coming out the other way. Mm. Um, it, it should have broke my leg and it didn't. And I, as a testimony of God, just a uh, will of, of saving me there. Um, the next day I actually uh, went to the doctor. Uh, they took me to the doctor and the doctor was like, wow, when did you get shot? I told him yesterday. And he goes, wow, it looks like you got shot a week ago, maybe. It was that it was healing up that that night that good. And um we ended up leaving the doctor and the driver turned on the radio and I heard the song playing, but it was in Ukrainian. And I, I looked I turned to my buddy and I said, Do you hear that? And he goes, What do, you, do I hear what? I said, listen to the radio. And I had chills come over me and I asked the uh, driver what they were saying there in the course, and it was a hundred men, and I could not believe it, but it was the Ballad of the Green Beret in Ukrainian. Mm. And I just had so many chills over me because I knew that, for one, God had me, and for two, that I was at the right place at the right time and I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, those are some of the, just one of the instances that where God shows up and, and reveals himself to me like, wow, um, Christian, you continue to, continue to push mission, you know, continue to do what I called you to do. Awesome. Yeah. And the, uh, uh, now, I mean, there was a little bit of a process of you getting back to where you are now. Uh, and, and there's a lot of details there, but I don't know if you're able to elaborate about that. That was kind of another, another story all on its own. Uh, absolutely. It was just, um, it was just God showing up. I, when I went through that, that country three years ago, I was carrying all the money that I had on before, and one of the monies that I did not use was Polish money, and I and I know I had known this. I had Polish money on me, and when, so once I had a, a reaction to the medication, and I couldn't take the medication because it was causing me to have migraines, I reached out to a, a friend of mine. He gave me a number to the 82nd Airborne um, that's parked outside Poland, and um, I ended up taking a train there and got to, to Poland and got seen by the division surgeon there. And while I was there, I received a, a, a text message and later a phone call uh, from an organization that I will, I'll leave unnamed for now. And it was like, it's like the Pope for Protestants showed up. And uh, it was this a cherry on top for, for, um, for me and also confirmation because I honestly didn't have enough money for both of us, me and my partner to fly home. We were, we were strapped for cash. We were living foot to mouth. And he came with his organization, picked me up and and flew me home on one of his uh, planes that he was using for humanitarian aid and allowed me to, for one, see my family and for two, to be able to come home and see an American doctor. Uh, Just the, blessing all together and just confirmation that, you know, God knows what he's doing when he's in something, 
Uh, we don't have to worry about, you know, our finances. We don't have to worry about our food. We don't have to worry about shelter or security. He, and it's biblical. When 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 we step off in faith and, and are obedient and, and fall under his will, all those things will be taken care of for us. Amen, brother. And as to your physical t- uh, security, I know that uh, we don't know uh, when our time is going to come, uh, but we know that whatever happens to us is going to be uh, wise and just and good as God orchestrates everything. Yeah. And hey, then how are you healing up? Yes. How am I feeling now? Yeah. How, how's your leg? Yeah, so I went to a doctor today. Um, they they checked me out. I told them, don't call the police. I got a gunshot wound I want you to check out. And they laughed and said, yeah, I really do have one. Um, and it was my family doctor, and he looked at it, and he says, wow, it looks. So when I got to the division surgeon, they actually, the Ukrainian doctor sewed it up and put a drain drip in it. Well, the American division surgeon, he opened it back up. And you could see directly into my leg, you could see the bone and a chunk missing. It's like a hole puncher it just came in and, and, and uh, took out a chunk of meat. Well, the doctor here said, wow, it's healing great. You have no swelling. The tissue looks healthy. It's, uh, you'll, you, you know, you're, you're healing fine. I don't I actually don't need to give you any antibiotics. Just here, take this medicated wrap and continue to, um, you know, cover it and to come back and see me in a week or so. So I was really pleased to see that type of uh, a report from uh, her. So, Hey, uh, that is awesome, man. I mean, you know, one thing I want to make sure everybody knows is give you an opportunity also to, uh, you know, give a shout out to any of the social media that you have, a way that uh, they can connect with you. Uh, where, where can I get that? Yeah, how can, uh, they, how, how can they support you, Christian? How can yeah, people that, uh, what can we do? you know, that, that want that uh, believe in what you're doing and help you out? Absolutely. So I have a website called AAAauthority.org, and that's just like it sounds, AAAauthority.org. And uh, that's where I basically set up uh, my ministry, and you can see uh, videos. I would. This is how I funded this thing was through donations. I had set up, a, I initially set up a GoFundMe for my family because I knew that my wife had the responsibility. I had the responsibility to, to, to make the money, and she had the responsibility to pay the bills. So that's how I did. I would literally go make these videos of me preaching in the trenches, and then I would come on and post these videos in hopes that somebody would see it and either take me up as a missionary in Ukraine or just give me five, ten dollars to let me pay my bills. And that actually uh, helped me breathe. It helped me, like you know, pay my bills. Um, now, since then, I've uh, taken down my GoFundMe and, and slowly I transferred everything into my AAAauthority.org. That way I can track it better for tax purposes and, and, and consolidate all my efforts into one place. And on the on my page, there's a links there where you could, you could support me through uh, PayPal, through Venmo, through uh, just about anything you can think of. You can actually direct um, uh, support me and it goes straight into uh, my family's bank account to help me continue to do what I'm doing. Um, I'm leaving back on the 6th. I, I, I'm going to be leaving here shortly. I have just, just enough time to uh, get things in order here. And God has revealed to me my, my second phase in this operation is to God's first, right? Family's second. So uh, today we met with two realtors. I'm selling my house. I'm selling all these things that I don't need, like my golf cart, sold it. Sold it. all these things that don't mean nothing to me because I want to build a kingdom in heaven. And my wife and my kids are going to be living in Kiev, and I will be down in the ministry field in the east. Wow. Yeah, and that's uh, spelled out, AAAauthority.org. Absolutely. Uh, It's got a a great site. Yeah, uh, great site, uh, great videos that go along with it, too. Love the pictures. Yeah, Christian, I mean, you're an encouraging guy. I mean, uh, you're, uh, I mean, it's hard to, it would be hard to listen to your story and not be enthusiastic about uh, supporting you. And then uh, not only that, but just the prayer. Uh, a lot of people Absolutely. overlook that. I mean, uh, pray for Christian, pray for his family. Uh, you know, and as a man that's been on a lot of missions, uh, myself, uh, Christian missions also, uh, you know, prayer is worth its weight in gold. So pray for this guy. Uh, he's got a great ministry. 
Uh, and I know that, uh, I, you know, we're looking forward to connecting with you again as you're downrange again. And, uh, and we can you know, touch base with you and see how, uh, how the Lord is moving in your ministry and uh, doing, you know, you know, the things that he's going to do. He's going to do marvelous things through you. I just know that. Thanks, Paul, for that. And I appreciate you putting my website out there. And um, I just try to encourage any Christians listening to this, that God uses sinners. And you might make some terrible mistakes, and I have too in life. But you know what? We can turn from those things and let God use us to uh, his purpose that he's called us to do. And don't let those things get in your way. And whatever it is, you might not know what God has got for you through prayer, supplication, through fasting. Let him reveal that to you and then push off boldly like he's called us to do. Awesome. Well, Christian, if you would, uh, you can do us the honor, maybe uh, take us out with prayer. Absolutely. Lord, I just want to come to you in prayer and just want to thank you for uh, just surrounding us with good, like-minded people who are, who just want to serve you, Lord, and who want to uh, be useful for your kingdom that we could just point to Christ, Lord. Why do we do the things that we do? We point to your word in Christ and what Jesus did for us, dying on the cross, Lord, and taking all those sins from us, Lord. I pray you just, if there's anybody here, Lord, who's listening to this, Lord, that they get encouraged, Lord, so that they can actually just reach out and be useful for your kingdom. And I pray that you just watch over this ministry, this this podcast, Lord, that they continue to develop soft uh, soldiers and uh, allow them to be used in uh, the field of, this, of uh, the army or whatever, whoever's listening, whatever branch of DOD, because we know that we're surrounded by evil, we're surrounded by uh, unbelievers and Sometimes it's hard, Lord. I pray that you just strengthen those Christians who are in those ranks, Lord. Allow them to believe and have the moral courage to stand up for what they believe in and act and do it for the right reasons at the right time, Lord. I pray you to continue to guide us with your Holy Spirit, move us towards you, Lord, for your purpose, and to continue to use us, Lord, beneficially and act boldly in your name. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen. 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 Amen, brother. Godspeed, Christian. Yeah, Godspeed. All right, y'all. Godspeed, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So. All right, Paul, I'm getting off the phone.